We begin, as we enter into this wonderful letter, I wrote down in my notes, it's a letter of grace. So if you will turn with me to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. Our text this morning is verses 1 through 3, but let's go ahead and read the first 14, 14 verses. Hear now the word of God. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him, in love having predestined us to adoption as, the son, as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. The grass withers, the flower falls, but God's word abides forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. Thank you for inspiring, guiding, speaking through the Apostle Paul in ministering to the saints there in Ephesus almost 2,000 years ago and also ministering to us today. We thank you that you recorded this letter, this letter from Jesus Christ to us through the apostle by the spirit. We pray that as you ministered to them, so you'd minister to us today, that we would hear your word. We would comprehend with all the saints what is the height and breadth and depth of the love of God found in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we ask for your blessing to be a blessing, and we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, how would you prefer to be approached to be encouraged to change for the better? There are different ways that you can approach someone positively, negatively. If there was an area in your life that needed change, how would you like them to treat you? How would you like, uh, would you want it to be positive or negative? Is there a time for both? And the answer is yes. All you have to do is think about the Lord Jesus. In Revelation, he wrote seven letters to the seven churches. In some of them, of those letters, he spoke concerning their struggles and battles with persecution. With others, he said, you have left your first love. How would you like to be approached by God? The uh, main uh, point is there in the bulletin. The Apostle Paul answers two important questions in the letter. Why should I live in a way that pleases God? So the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians answers the question, why should I live in a way that pleases God? The answer is because of the greatness of the love of his love for you, his wonderful blessings in Christ. So I respond to the grace of God by loving him and doing what he commands. The second, how do I do so? And the answer is, live your life according to God's great love for you. He says in chapter 4, verse 1, if you notice that, chapters 1 through 3 uh, is the position we have in Christ in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, beg you, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And so there, starting in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, walk. In chapters 1 through 3, he says, Be, we are seated in heavenly places in Christ. Where are you right now? Well, you're seated here in Dickinson, North Dakota, but Paul says, in Christ, we are in heaven. Positionally, right now, where, where's Jesus? Jesus is in heaven. Where are you if you're in Christ? You're in heaven. Okay, does that make sense? One sense, when we gather together in the name of Jesus, you've heard that statement, right? Two Christians go to a coffee shop and that applies there, right? No. It's talking about the corporate gathering of the saints. When we gather in the name of Jesus Christ, what does he say? I am there. Is it that he comes down or that we go up? Go to Hebrews chapter 12, and it describes us going into the heavenlies. Right now, we're sitting in the presence of the triune God. We're sitting in the presence of the angels and just men made perfect. It's as if someone ripped off the ceiling of the building, and we are now in the presence of God. How should we respond with that fact what should we be doing right now, listening intently? So what Paul is uh, describing is God's providence, chapters 1 through 3, in our responsibility, our response. Paul himself present, is a prisoner of the Lord. We'll look at that. Have you ever thought about that? 
Paul was put in prison. He could have avoided prison. He was warned by Agabus that he was going to be attacked in Jerusalem and that he was going to be in chains and that he was going to be delivered to Rome as a prisoner. He could have avoided that by just simply not going to Jerusalem, but no, that was God's calling. And from prison, many of our letters that we have in the New Testament were written. They were written for the beloved brethren throughout Asia and all of the Roman Empire. They were written for us, for all ages. Paul's suffering as a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ is the benefit, we receive the benefit in letters such as this. So let us enter into this beginning statement. This is a typical letter of the time. Paul writes, first he says, who it is that's writing and to whom is he writing? Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. To the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. So who is writing? It's coming from the sent one with authority, the ambassador of Jesus Christ, the apostle Paul. Notice he was apostle of Jesus Christ. Let's stop and back up a little bit. As we we read already, Acts chapter 19, uh, do you know much about the city of Ephesus, the place where these people were uh, living? Ephesus was the capital of the Roman province of Asia. We now call it what? What is that country called today? It's Turkey. Okay, But Asia was called Asia Minor. Uh, this was the capital. This was the most prominent city of the empire, right in the middle of the Roman Empire. And they were renowned for the temple to Diana. All the world came to Ephesus to worship the goddess Diana. As a matter of fact, what we didn't read in chapter 19 was the silversmiths had a riot because as Paul was being effective in preaching the gospel and people turned from false gods to the true God, it hit them financially. Nobody's going to worship the great goddess and nobody's going to buy our idols. And so we want to stop Paul from preaching the gospel because it's hurting our pocketbook. This city was a strategic city. Paul wanted to go there on his second missionary journey. And what was in, what's interesting in Acts is at twice it says that Paul desired to go into Asia and the Holy Spirit said no. Here was a strategic city from a, a missionary perspective. This is the place to go. And yet the Holy Spirit said or actually says, forbid him from preaching the gospel in Asia, Asia Minor. Isn't that interesting? Why? What if you were Paul? Here you are being sent to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Here's a key city, and the Holy Spirit is telling you no. But what did he say? Not yet. Have you ever got a, uh, did you ever pray for something and the answer to it was no? Is that an answer to prayer? Is it an answer that we like? No. Is wait an answer to prayer? Yeah, that's what happened. Although Paul didn't know that, 
The answer was no. And so he travels on. If you look at Acts chapter 16, as he's been forbidden to go to Asia and go to Ephesus, and yet there is this glorious vision, this Macedonian at night in a, in a dream says to Paul, come over and help us. So immediately Paul says, okay, the Lord is calling us to Philippi. We're calling us to another Roman colony in Europe. And so the gospel now comes to Europe first. And then he travels down into Greece and he ends up in Corinth. Man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And then as he is uh, committed to go back to Jerusalem to do his missionary report and to fulfill uh, vows that he made, as he's heading back to Jerusalem, what does he do? He stops off in Ephesus and he promises, I will return, kind of like MacArthur did in the Philippines. I will return. And he did. And so there in Acts chapter 19, we see this third missionary journey, his three years of ministry. It's the longest place that he ministered to in his missionary journeys, one place for three years. And now he is gone. He's been arrested. He's on his way to Rome. He doesn't know whether he's going to live or die. And he wants to minister to the saints there in Ephesus. And so he writes this letter. So now you have a little bit of the background of this letter. In other words, why should I read and study this letter? What is my motivation? Why is it important? And the answer is, it's from Jesus. Yes, the Apostle Paul read it, but who was the Apostle Paul? He was the Apostle. The word means sent one. He was the one sent by Jesus Christ to write, to give this letter. So this is a personal letter to you. Do you understand that? If you, if you received a personal letter from Jesus Christ, would you read it? When I first was engaged to my lovely wife, uh, I en ended up, uh, how many days after we were engaged? I think it was 10 days or so. I went to Micronesia, and then back in 1981, the only way to communicate for the most part was letters. And so when I received the letter from my fiance, that was the most precious gift, precious thing. I took it home and I read it and I read it again and I read it again. Why? Because she wrote me this letter. Jesus Christ wrote you this letter. Is it precious to you? It should be more precious than a letter from my fiance. Read it. Jesus' blessing is there. What is his importance? It is of utmost importance. Can you imagine thousands of years God has protected this letter from being destroyed so that you can have it in your Bible and read it? Thank God for this letter of grace. Second point to whom? Notice what he says. To whom? To the saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful. In Christ Jesus, he's writing to Gentiles and Jews, and he calls them holy ones. 
Are you a holy one? Are you a saint? You're a saint in Christ. Okay. You mean the Pope doesn't have to first make you a saint? No. Paul is writing to sinners who are saved in Christ, but he doesn't call them sinners because that's not our identity anymore. We are saints who sin. Sin is not our identity. Do you understand that point? I think most of you, we've hammered that point many times. I am a saint. I'm a holy one in Christ. I am set apart for God's use only, but I still rebel and sin. But yet Jesus died for those sins. And so to the saints who are at Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus, that is our identity. Do you believe in Jesus? Is he your only salvation? Is he your only hope? Do you rest in him? Do you function in the sphere, if you will, of Jesus? What do I mean by that? That means that if I'm in Christ, everywhere I turn, I'm looking through the lens of Jesus Christ. Everything is in perspective of Christ. Is that your testimony? That's who Paul is writing to. Those who have been set apart for God's use only. What's amazing is that same setting is found all the way back in the Old Testament. What is the most significant event in the Old Testament? What do you think? What's the most significant? Is it creation? Is it the flood? Is it the call of Abraham? Is it redemption of Israel out of Egypt? Is it the building of the temple? What is the most significant? I would argue that's Exodus chapter 19. God takes his redeemed people and he brings them to himself. And he says, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a portable, special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Peter quotes that and says to the believers in Jesus Christ, you are that holy nation. We are the people of God. We are the children of God. We are the holy people of God. That's our identity. Is that important? And the answer is yes. I don't identify myself by my sin as some Christians do or as a pastor that I heard of that says he's a homosexual Christian. And I would say, you're either Christian or homosexual. You can't say both. You understand the difference? My identity is Christ, not my sin. If you have any questions about that, come and see me afterwards. So Paul writes to these beloved disciples, these saints, these holy ones, these set-apart ones, who are in Christ, and notice... They are the recipients. Notice the blessing. Sometimes we fly over verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes, well, I've heard that so many times. You hear that opening of every uh, service. What? So what? What is he saying? Grace. 
the source of blessing is God and God's grace. And the result of that grace is peace or shalom or well-being. It is because of grace that we have peace with God. It is because of grace that we have peace with one another. It is because of grace that God has blessed us. Peace with God, Romans 5.1. Peace with man, unity. Peace with oneself. Sometimes that's the hardest place to be at peace, right? When you're aware of your sin or you're plagued with your worries or doubts or fears. or So isn't that sometimes the greatest enemy that you have to deal with is your own flesh, is yourself? I don't know about you, but I'm my own worst enemy. It's a healthy thing in, in confessing my sin, but sometimes my pride says that I'm not as good as I should be. My pride says I should be better than this. So even my, my humility is, can be really pride. So here we see God's blessing of grace. Notice that. And because of grace, peace. You, you hear that? Good. So my question to you, number one, are you a saint? Is this letter for you? You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your only Savior. Is he the only way to God? As he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Is he your Savior? Is he your boss? Is he your Lord? When Jesus says jump, do you say how high on the way up? Is that your heart? Are you a saint, a recipient of grace? And as a recipient, are you also called to be an instrument of God's grace and peace? If you've received grace from God, if God has called you, He's also called you to be an instrument through which the grace and peace of God comes. We are called to be saints, instruments. Yes, we're cracked vessels, right? But vessels that hold the grace of God, hold the spirit, if you will. So if you are a saint, you're also an instrument. Finally, how can you be an instrument of God's grace and peace? The first thing is, the first three trap, uh, chapters is apprehend what God has given you. Apprehend the grace of God. Understand it and rejoice in it. I'm loved of God. I belong to Jesus, my faithful Savior. As the catechism says, what is your only hope in life and death? That I with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, but I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins. Is that your testimony? Is that your cry? Yes, I am forgiven. And not only that, but he's delivered me from the power of the devil. And he preserves me. Then nothing can happen apart from the will of God in Christ Jesus. Do you apprehend the grace of God, the greatness of God's grace? Do you appreciate it? Is that a good response? Thank you. Is that a good response to a gift? Is that a proper grandma? Is that a proper response? Did you teach your children when someone gave you something that you're to say thank you? Uh, Becky, when you taught your children that when they received the gift, what did you teach them to do? 
write a thank you note. Is that biblical? Is it biblical to say thank you when someone gives you something? It's the appropriate response. What does the catechism say? My, the third response, the first is how great my sin and misery is. The second is how I'm redeemed from all my sin and misery. And the third is how I'm to be thankful to God for such redemption. So if we apprehend the grace of God that's been given to us, our response is thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Is that why we breathe out? Now, what do I mean by that? The Puritan said every time we inhale... We breathe in the mercy and grace of God. So what do you do with that breath? It should be thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And that's that third part. Communicate by words and deeds what God has done for you in Christ. My third point, blessed to be a blessing, and I'll wrap it up here. But I thought I would quote somebody else. I know last week you had a uh, great preacher uh, Spurgeon, a little bit long. My sermon's shorter today. But I thought I would read a comment from another theologian on this verse. Better than I. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The lofty terms in which he extols the grace of God toward the Ephesians are intended to rouse their hearts to gratitude. Wasn't that what I was just saying? As we read Ephesians, the first response should be thank you, right? Thank you, God, for your grace. He goes on to write, to set them all on flame. Then it, oh, yes, Lord, set us on flame. Kindle in us that first love because of grace. Thank you, Jesus. Set my heart on flame for you. He goes on to say, to fill them with overflowing with this thought. They who perceive in themselves discoveries of divine goodness, so full and absolutely perfect, and who make them the subject of earnest meditation, will never embrace false doctrines by which the very grace which they feel so powerfully in themselves is thrown into shape. So Paul is concerned about error coming into the church. And so what does he do? What does a teller do when uh, they are being trained, right? Do they give you a false uh, a, a counterfeit bill? We have a teller here. Did they give you a, and, and wanted you to study that? Or did they make you just work with the real stuff, right? They started with the real stuff, right? And then when the, the counterfeit came, ah, this is counterfeit. I can just feel it. I can see it, whatever. This is what Paul is doing. Here's the truth. Know it. Believe it. So that when false doctrine comes, you oh, something's wrong with that statement. I heard that yesterday. I was hearing a preacher, and he made a statement, and immediately a, a, a red light went off in my head. But it was just immediate, this kind of statement. Oh, I, I don't think I agree with that. We need to be good Bereans checking out what's being taught by the word of God, knowing the word of God, examining even the apostle Paul. They perceive in themselves the discoveries of divine goodness, full and absolutely perfect. And they meditate earnestly. 
The design of the apostle, therefore, in assorting the riches of divine grace toward the Ephesians was to protect them against having their faith shaken by false apostles, as if their calling were doubtful or salvation were to be sought in some other way. He shows at the same time the full certainty of future happiness rests on the revelation of his love to us in Christ, which God makes in the gospel. But to confirm the matter more fully, he rises to the first cause of the fountain, to the fountain, the eternal election of God, by which we are born, we are adopted as sons. And that's verse 4, and he goes on. So he, he starts us by establishing us in the grace of God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He works down that order in those verses that I read. So uh, take up the book. What is it? Augustine was converted when he heard some kids playing next door. Take up the book and read it. And the book was the Bible. And he was converted. Take up the book of Ephesians while you're on vacation. Take up the book of Ephesians and read it. Read of the grace of God and God's call for us to demonstrate that love or be instruments of love. Amen? Amen.